Welcome to our new episode of this uh, series, uh, Conversation Across Borders, uh, with Francis and myself. Today we have uh, Veronica Polinedrio with us, and she is a, a user experience uh, product designer, uh, passionate about using empathy and design to improve lives uh, for people and Today, we are going to speak in particular uh, about um, a big project that she has been working for a couple of years now, the uh, Welcome um, Card. Um, Veronica, would you please uh, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit more? <laughs> yeah, of course. So, as said, my name is Veronica. I call myself a product UX designer, um, so that means that I work with the product design and specifically user experiences methods um, to apply to digital products. Um, and digital products is pretty much anything that, you know, starts with a website or applications and kind of moves into the space of um, IoT, Internet of Things. Um, so I've always kind of been in this specific space, but um, in my free time, I guess I want to say that I like to apply my practice and my some of the insights that I have, you know, specific to my industry, to some of the causes that I care the most for, um, and having had the opportunity to work with like social dignity projects, uh, social impact project, um, the one uh, that we're trying to solve with the welcome card is probably one of the um, has probably one of the topics that I'm most passionate about. So immigration, migration, and human flows. Um, so with that said, um, I've been working a little bit all over the place, uh, Sweden, United States, Italy, um, done a couple of projects in Central America, across Europe, um, and now I'm based in Cincinnati, Ohio, United States. All of your time in Sweden and the United States, you've come up with this idea of a welcome card to help asylum mm -hmm. seekers. Um, people wonder what that means. Uh, maybe you could just explain what the welcome card is. Yeah. So the Welcome Card was a project that we started in 2016 in Stockholm, Sweden, where I was living at the time. Um, during um, 2016, uh, Sweden saw an increase in number of asylum-seeking applications and uh, uh, migrants. Um, and what that meant by 2016 is that we were about four years into the Syrian civil war. Um, and by that time, applications for asylum-seeking had uh, um, not really duplicated, it had, if anything, you know, multiplied by an enormous number. Um, so what was happening was that we were seeing um, an increase in the handling time for applications uh, and a real need for all nations in Europe, not, not necessarily just Sweden, to try and solve the, um, the handling time and a little bit about how do we make sure that uh, we welcome uh, asylum seekers and migrants. Um, and so the welcome card was really born out of um, a little bit of, you know, a time for us as designers to kind of give back to the community and specifically to the migrant community. Um, a group of friends and I uh, were all either, you know, migrants in Sweden or in other countries. And what we wanted to do was try to apply some of the methods that we have, you know, used in our practice of user experience design and digital design um, to try and solve the um, 
what was happening at the time in Sweden. So the Wacom card, um, to briefly describe it, um, is more than anything an approach, an approach to try to systemically solve uh, one of the biggest issues in uh, immigration, which is lack of access for its applicants and its users. Um, so what we started with was a digital application that would leverage um, our knowledge uh, that uh, um, asylum seekers and migrants have access to digital tools such as mobile devices and basically allow them to have better access to immigration tools. Um, we accompanied that uh, to um, a couple of tools for um, socializing, which basically meant uh, allowing them to connect uh, with public transportation and language courses so that uh, while they waited, we would be able to use that time to help them um, understand what Swedish, Sweden and you know, uh, Swedish society really is all about. And now the welcome card four years into it has moved a little bit across the pond. So we're in the United States and we're trying to tackle something similar. Um, so the idea now has a little bit shifted, but the core beliefs are the same. We're just trying to make immigration accessible for everyone. Okay. And, and um, Veronica, when, when uh, you started here in Sweden, um, how, how did you come up with the idea and how, how uh, did you proceed um, to, to find a solution, let's say? Yeah, so we started actually with uh, what at the time was a workshop organized by the United Nations High Commissioner for the Refugees, so UNHCR, together with a um, design studio in Stockholm and what design can do. Um, and the, the, the effort really was to get people in uh, the social sector to come together and uh, by applying human-centered design, trying to understand what is missing in the conversations that we're having about immigration and especially for Sweden, it was about uh, what can any citizen really do to help tackle um, what at the time was called the European refugee crisis. Um, so what we started with was applying human-centered design principles, which if you're not familiar with human-centered design, it starts with empathy, with the idea that uh, by asking questions, uh, you can understand a little bit about what another person is experiencing, feeling, uh, doing, and then using those insights to move into ideation, which uh, may, basically means, you know, creating as many ideas as possible. Um, they can be as simple or as complex as you want them to be. Uh, really, the sky is the limit. And the idea is to then filter these by um, creating very quick prototypes and putting them in front of the people that we got that initial, you know, empathy and understanding from. So the idea is to really just validate some of the ideas that you create and then move them on to implementation. Um, yeah. And by applying so, some of these principles, Sorry, Veronica, this means that you asked uh, really uh, refugees. You had a conversation mm -hmm. with them and, and you came yes. up and uh, what, uh, what, did, what was missing? Uh, what was yeah. the conversation so, that was not made there? Yeah, so part of the conversation and part of the workshop that we were doing with UNHCR was really getting to, you know, bridge a little bit, um, you know, the lack of understanding that... Um, most of us as citizens don't really know migrants or asylum seekers are going through. So we did talk with both refugees and asylum seekers. And the difference there is a little bit legal. The idea is that a refugee is someone who's already received protection, while an asylum seeker is somebody who's under um, the filing process of understanding whether or not they're deserving of that um, 
protection. And when I say deserving is because it really is a very long process to get to, um, to basically, you know, prove that you are in fact in need of international protection. So we did talk with asylum seekers and refugees and some of the stories that they shared, uh, you know, varied. Everyone has a different reasons why they need to migrate. And uh, some of the statistics that we see today have kind of proven that, you know, the idea of an asylum seeker as someone who's running away from a conflict is uh, very minute in comparison to all of the other reasons that exist for asylum seekers to, you know, leave. Uh, some might be women and children who need protection from a domestic abusive partner. Others are flying, fleeing because of climate change. Others are fleeing from poverty. Others are fleeing from conflict and persecution. So the, the reasons are very different and uh, not one asylum seeker, refugee or migrant has the same story. Um, and so for us, uh, the biggest understanding was realizing that uh, when asylum seekers and refugees move to Sweden or to the United States, they're very often isolated to kind of, like, you know, the outskirts, the outer part of our community, of our societies. And what that means is that they are not only waiting for a really long period of time, not knowing what is happening with their immigration filing, um, but they're also socially distant from everyone else and not really um, understanding how can they um, fit in? How can they be part of this group? Um, so the story is really varied, but the bottom line was that uh, they really lacked uh, some of the basic resources to understand how to move into Sweden or how to move into the United States. And this is true across uh, all of the nations that we kind of have done, you know, this analysis of um, immigrants, migrants, asylum seekers and refugees really don't know where to start when it comes to immigration. It's made so complex and complicated that yeah, it's I, becoming really challenging. Yeah, I, I think, lot, I mean, it's not just that migrants don't know that. The general public mm -hmm. don't know what they've been through. I just recently read a book, I don't know if you read mm -hmm. it, called America Dirt, which is a story mm -hmm. of a you know, family who uh, saw most of the family killed by Colombian uh, drug gangs. And then the, the mother and the son came up through um, South and Central, Central America into, Texas, into Arizona, actually. And the terrible things that they went through, people don't realize that. What made you realize that? I mean, what was it that motivated you? Did you have early experience of migrants um, and asylum seekers? Uh, what led you to take the path that you've taken? So there's definitely a couple of reasons there why I am so attached to the cause and also why I keep, uh, you know, having conversation with other asylum seekers, migrants and refugees about immigration. For one, I've been an immigrant since I was 17. Um, I have traveled, well, I've had the opportunity to travel and really move from Italy to the United States for studying and then back from the United States to Sweden again for studying and ended up staying there to work. Um, and one of the things that I'm really aware of is the privilege that I hold in terms of uh, um, accessing immigration. Um, immigration is being made so complicated that uh, when you put immigration um, websites through what we call the learnability, um, test, uh, you very quickly realize that uh, um, you will need 10 to 13 years of education to actually understand the content of those websites and those platforms just from a purely linguistical uh, perspective. So what that prompts me as a designer, as someone who really wants to promote ethical um, design 
um, movements is the idea that we need to have more conversation with uh, those that are marginalized in our societies. And for me, it's about having conversation with other asylum seekers, other migrants. And I think that naturally, you know, when you are a migrant yourself, you will surround yourself with migrants, so you hear their stories. Um, so for me, really, it does uh, boil down to a combination of, you know, my past, my experiences, and also wanting to understand um, how my experience compares to that of others. Yes. And uh, you, um, you already mentioned that uh, you are using this uh, human-centered uh, approach and uh, um, this, this, in this um, empathy plays a big role, of course. And as uh, what, what, what was the result of using this approach for uh, the developing of the welcome card in Sweden? Well, I think that probably the biggest insight is actually understanding that uh, we have uh, very common needs and wishes as humans. Um, asylum seekers and migrants and refugees are all, we're all kind of moving for very specific reasons. Um, and the stories that, you know, we bring with us, the experiences that we bring with us uh, are very important to continue to build that, you know, empathy, that understanding of what it means to either being forced to move or needing to move. Um, like I said, many of us have different reasons why we move. And when I say we, I mean migrants, those who, are, those who do have the ability to move for study or for work, which is a much different story than those who move for persecution. Um, so going back to empathy, I think that for me and for many of us in the project was about uh, trying to share a little bit more the stories that, my, that asylum seekers and refugees are going through. And it's not necessarily to continue to portray the picture of the asylum seekers who need international protections and needs to move, but it's about really pointing to some of the lacks of understanding that any of us as citizens have in terms of immigration. Like you said, many of us don't really know what it means to be a migrant or what it, need, what it means to needing on, or having to move uh, to protect our families. And that is really something that we build by empathizing with another human being and something that uh, um, with every volunteer that we have had as part of the welcome card is something that we always try to foster, you know, having conversation, um, having an open mind and open heart and sort of like, you know, listen to other is not only like a huge empathy builder, but it's also something that helps us clarify some of the biggest misunderstanding that we have in immigration today. Um, so really for me, empathy is about trying to bring a little bit more clarity as to why asylum seekers and refugees or migrants are needing to move um, and trying to foster a little bit of that, you know, emotional intelligent type of skill in every volunteer and every designer that helps us build in the welcome card. But, but I guess that, um, you know, the thing that you do working with migrants, that's only one side of the, the coin. The other side is the authorities that they have mm -hmm. to deal with. I, I know Narina was interested in what happens in the UK. I'm not an expert on it, but I know that by the end of 2020, 35,000 migrants have come across, which is nothing like the rest of Europe. And we're far worse uh, than the rest of Europe in deal with, dealing with it. They have... They have to, you know, report to authorities, get a case interview, and then they're told within six months whether they can stay or not. But 76% of them don't get told within six months, and they live on the pittance between five and six pounds a week for food. And a lot of them go into desperate situations, and many go into human trafficking. Um, so, I mean, when you're doing the welcome card, do you, re do you understand the resistance of 
the authorities that you have to get over, and maybe you don't have it as bad as we do, and also the plight of the, the, the asylum seeker and the migrant particularly, who sometimes get themselves in exceptionally difficult circumstances like trafficking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think that that's something that we're dealing with, you know, on a daily basis, whether it is uh, during the storytelling or whether it is, you know, um, in some of the work that we're trying to implement. So definitely there is some friction that exists with the um, organization, especially immigration organization, and very often political organizations that try to spread, you know, the wrong message about uh, asylum seekers and refugees. So the the work for us there is not so much about focusing some of the roadblocks or the, you know, blockers that we face in terms of um, working or collaborating with some of the organizations, but it's really about trying to serve um, those uh, that um, are the core of our, you know, values and principles. So asylum seekers, migrants, and refugees. Um, with that said, I am aware that uh, we need the cooperation of just about any organization, but very often, if you can't have that, I think it's important to understand that we can get creative and work around them. Um, it's it's a blocker that we have definitely, you know, found not only in Sweden or the Netherlands where we have tried, you know, to have some of the analysis for how to implement a welcome card. It's something that we're seeing here in the United States too. Like the United States has very recently capped uh, the number of asylum seekers to 30,000 a year, which is a record low in comparison to 2016, where the number was around 100,000 and previous administration had even higher capping numbers. Um, so when you cap something that low, you kind of have to wonder where does the friction exist there and how can you think systemically about uh, um, rethink that approach, rethink those conversation. Um, so with that said, I think I am very aware that uh, if, um, you know, at a high level, um, an administration or an immigration um, agency, has a different agenda, we need to be able to um, to either influence that conversation or sort of, you know, work around and figure out how is it that we can still serve those that we, you know, have appointed as quote unquote stakeholders. And, uh, and Veronica, in, in uh, Sweden, uh, you implemented uh, a part of your vision for the welcome card. And, uh, um, and this part should um, support uh, refugees in following up uh, the process that is going on for them. But you had other ideas about the welcome card that you would like to implement. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about this, for example, cultural events or this aspect mm -hmm. as well? Yeah, so the idea of the welcome card was really founded on three pillars. So, so we had the idea that we could help, uh, um, you know, our users understanding the immigration process and how it is that they can quote unquote control it. Um, and that's really just about informing them and uh, connecting them to the right resources. And the second pillar was was building um, the kind of funding that would allow us to, to provide them with uh, um, access to public transportation. And that is because very often asylum seekers and um, refugees uh, are sort of located in um, asylum centers, uh, refugee centers that are very much outside of some of the bigger um, city centers that offer language programs or any type of resource that allows them to um, 
to understand, you know, what, what the cultural settings are. And then the third pillar was exactly that. Um, how could we connect them better to cultural events? How could we connect them um, to social groups so that they could, you know, at a very basic level, um, try to practice the language, especially when there is a language such as, in, such as Swedish, which is not as, um, you know, as known. Um, and for us, uh, we learned that this is really something that needs to be approached uh, uh, almost as equally. Um, the three pillars are really three pillars in the sense that they are so equally standing because without one or the other, uh, the entire ecosystem wouldn't really, really work. They would collapse. So what we understood is that uh, understanding immigration, having a sense of uh, control over one's application uh, allows them to have access to public transportation and sort of focus on language. Uh, but they don't necessarily, they wouldn't exist without, you know, one another. Uh, because if you're worried about your immigration application, then you're not going to be able to focus on language learning. And if you don't have access to transportation, you're not going to be able to access those classes. Um, so for us, it was really about trying to, you know, advance all three pillars at once uh, and making sure that uh, um, our users really had access to all three of them in order to, you know, succeed. Well, I mean, one of the things we haven't said is the welcome card itself isn't a, a sort of physical cardboard card. It's an app right. on the phone, isn't it? And it means to work, you can give the app to the asylum seeker, but the communities who will help out need the app as well and the authorities who are going to be working with the asylum seeker need the app as well. Are they having that? Are the authorities picking up that app? Are they using it? And are communities using it as well? Yeah, so definitely one of the first, uh, um, one of our first goals was definitely trying to, you know, shift the conversations away from the perception that asylum seekers or refugees are coming in with absolutely nothing. And that, you know, their digital competency is lower than that of any other citizen. That is um, such a misconception that that was one of the first objectives that we had. So asylum seekers and um, refugees really are traveling with uh, the same devices that you know we use every day including mobile devices in fact if you look at some of the um, biggest needs in uh, um, sort of you know detention center especially those in Greece or southern Italy you'll see that one of the biggest need is having access to electricity and wi-fi electricity so that they can charge their phone and wi-fi so that they can connect with you know their families their friends um, so we knew that the digital competency uh, the ability to use a mobile device was just as high as that of any of us um, so knowing that um, what we wanted to create was a tool that could also tap into existing infrastructure. So most of us have a phone, so most communities will have access to, you know, that type of app. And then when it comes to uh, migration agencies, we also do know that they work with databases and computers. So it wouldn't be as difficult to tap into the infrastructure. Um, some of the obstacles, though, do remain that many asylum um, asylum seekings, refugee or migrant applications still remain on paper. And that is something that um, has been more or less, you know, structured within the agencies themselves. So, so in the case of Sweden, you know, the migration um, agency of Sweden deals with some digital resources, but not necessarily um, as many as, you know, as they could be. Um, there's still a lot of paper filing. On the other hand, the United States is a very interesting case out of 100 applications that exist, 100 different forms to uh, do immigrations, only 11 are digital. So the situation is a little bit different there, you know, it changes country by country. Then if you look at Italy, there's 
almost zero digital access. But going back to your question, what we have realized, and that was part of you know, our human-centered design process, really having conversation with just about anyone. So we didn't only talk to asylum seekers and refugees, we also talked with community members and we talked with the immigration agency. And what we wanted to understand was, is there anything in common between these three groups that we could tap into to provide a solution that really matter everyone's needs and wishes? And we found that that digital platform was one of the solutions. And uh, you, you mentioned, uh, uh, of course, that there are uh, differences um, uh, among countries, also digitalization is one of the differences, but there are many others. Uh, um, now you are based in the USA and you are continuing this idea uh, there. What are the differences between, uh, let's say, Sweden and the USA and what are the challenges that you are and the, the the vision that you have now in the USA mm -hmm. for the welcome card. Yeah, so now that we have shifted over to the United States, which happened a little bit because I moved to the United States, um, when I made the move from Europe to the United States, I went through a 23-month process in order to get an un get you know um, my 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 visa permit. Um, and during those 23 months, I had a lot of time to think about what was missing for me, what could be improved in this process. So what we have done here in the United States that is a little bit different from what we were doing in Sweden is dropping two of the pillars uh, of the welcome card, so the transportation and. Uh, um, the social events. And that is because the infrastructures are a little bit different in the United States than they are in Europe. Public transportation isn't as popular of an option as it is in Europe. Social events uh, do exist, but they exist uh, differently, right? So for us, uh, knowing that uh, one of the pillars was just as scalable, which was uh, the access to immigration uh, resources and you know that case management, we needed to understand a little bit what were the other pillars that would work with the um, you know with the with the context that we're in right now. Um, so it was a combination of starting a little bit from scratch, but you know scaling the part of the product that we didn't know. Um, was missing for just about any immigration system in any country in the world. So here in the United States, we are focusing uh, quite some on that learnability aspect that I mentioned just a little bit ago, which is the fact that uh, the immigration website is so, so complicated to understand that I had a hard time understanding what the immigration process for myself was. And so knowing that human-centered design work, knowing that design thinking work, and knowing that uh, that digital aspect was also working uh, in Europe, we brought those over and started the project from scratch in a sense, having conversation with uh, migrants and asylum seekers, trying to understand, uh, again, what are their needs, what are their wishes, um, what are the infrastructures that exist for them, and how can we then use those uh, for um, the welcome card over here. Um, so right now we're really just focusing on what is called an immigration path. How can we help asylum seekers and migrants understand which of the 100 plus forms on the immigration website is the one or the ones that they need in order to complete their immigration process. Um, I mean, it's quite interesting when you said that you had to start from scratch and, and, and build things up. If um, someone from England, myself, someone else, and one of the refugee groups said, look, I'm really interested in, you know, what you're doing. I mean, how would they start from scratch and could they come to you for help? in starting up? 
So we are not a, a legal entity, not an immigration legal entity, and we do not intend to replace uh, those legal entities. And you know, some of the lawyers that are working, especially those that are working pro bono and are really working on advocacy for uh, immigration and asylum seekers. So we don't necessarily replace uh, that uh, type of you know consultation uh, on a one-to-one type of case. What we're trying to do is help facilitate that process of understanding what uh, uh, immigration path they need to take. So ideally, um, independently of the type of user or the type of um, immigration user that you are, you could come to our platform. Um, you could tell us a little bit about yourself, which really um, we're, we're just trying to understand, you know, where you're currently located, what, uh, um, what is your main need for immigration at this time in the United States? Um, and uh, then a little bit about your age, just because um, laws change a little bit if you're under 18 or you're over 18. And then based on just, you know, a couple of um, inputs of this type, uh, we could tell you which forms uh, out of the hundreds that are on the website uh, you need to take in order to file for immigration for your exact type of immigration. And then what we also plan to do is that we do want to help you connect with some of the pro bono lawyers that are helping with immigration. So one of the things that we do ask is where you're located, what's your zip code, you know, and based on that, uh, we can help them connect with some of these law offices that are advocating for immigration and to help you with that consultation part. Um, but the idea is that uh, when you're starting your journey in immigration in the United States, uh, not really knowing where you are, this could be the kind of tool that gets you at least, you know, 50% of the, you know, of the way there, trying to understand which one is the right path for you and then helping you file for that uh, um, immigration form. But uh, um, Veronica, uh, do you see um, uh, possibilities to um, develop these ideas uh, for other countries or work with other countries or other organizations? Mm -hmm. Because it, it uh, sounds to me like a, a simple way to improve in a great and huge uh, way the life for, of many people. And uh, I'm wondering, how is it possible? Yeah, um, and actually one thing that I forgot to say just a second ago was that if there are migrants or asylum seekers or refugees that are sort of waiting right now who um, want to get involved, um, we, are tr we, we always try to build that type of inclusivity, you know, and diversity in our team so that anyone could come and help us by sharing, you know, their experiences so that we can actually build them into this algorithm, into this, you know, way for us to understand the process. Um, and in fact, uh, going back to your question, the idea is that this could be scaled just about in any country. Um, what the, the initial analysis that we did across you know, the globe was really trying to understand which are the major countries that are currently you know, seeing an influx mm -hmm. of migrants. Um, and these are more or less you know, any Northern or Central European country, North America, which would be both the United States and Canada and uh, uh, Australia or the other side of the world. Um, and all of these you know, are facing very different situations of very different numbers of you know um, incoming asylum seekers refugees or migrants for a variety of reasons but what we do understand is that um, they're all lacking the type of infrastructure that really helps facilitate immigration 
um, whether it's because of a combination of, you know, real obstacle at uh, um, implementing better solution, or if it is because of uh, um, political friction, many countries are seeing antiquated immigration systems that lack digital services, um, the type of digital services that, you know, we are able to access on almost like a daily basis in our country, like, you know, if you need to register your vehicle, more, more or less any country has some sort of, you know, digital solution. If you need to send a package, there's a digital solution for that. But there isn't a digital solution for uh, immigration. And what that really means is that by relying on paper, by relying on some of the most antiquated system that, you know, we have used for many, many, many decades, um, that means that stuff gets lost, originals get lost, and lives really get compromised as a consequence of that. So back to your question, yes, it most definitely could get uh, scaled in just about any country. Okay, well, we sort of come to the end of our half hour, and I think you've been really, really, you know, uh, informative. And, and, and I think if people in this country or other countries wanted to, you know, develop a welcome card and work with you, I think they would be really keen to contact you. Mm -hmm. And so thank you for coming on. And Marina has, has well, the person who's invited you, which is fantastic. It's a great interview. <laughs> so I'm going to hand over to Marina to finish it off. Uh, no, I, I thank you, uh, Francis uh, and uh, Veronica, for being here. Uh, I, I feel that, uh, um, you know, this uh, one of the most important aspects for me is really to learn to ask the people that are involved in this, uh, what, what they really need, as well, to start seeing uh, the people who are involved and not thinking about data or numbers, but they mm -hmm. see the lives behind the, the data. And I think that I'm sure, Francis, uh, what do you say? That we are going to follow up the development of the welcome card and uh, we would be more than happy to see it develop in other countries. And I, 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 th I think if we could find people in this country and other countries who wanted to do it, we could set up a sort of um, startup webinar with Veronica if she'd be willing to do it and see what comes from that. That would be a great idea. Yes, I yeah. think that it would be great. Veronica. Yeah, and I just wanna close by saying that, um, you know, I'm not an expert in this. I'm just somebody who found themselves in this kind of like, you know, conundrum that is immigration. Um, I am by no means whatsoever the only immigrant to have a story of a challenge with the immigration agency. I'm just one that has a platform and I'm aware of that. So I would love to continue to you know, spread the message that if there are others out there and our team uh, does include other immigrants that have gone through similar experiences. So if you are um, a migrant and you feel like you do want to, you know, be part of this team, help us build this vision. Um, it's not my vision. It's really just something that I would like to see by the end of my life somewhat implemented so that, you know, generations after me don't have to go through some of the insane heartbreaks that immigration puts you through. And for me, my heartbreak, you know, really was about being separated from my husband for just about a year uh, after we got married in order to enter the United States. But mine is, um, you know, uncomparable story to those who are fleeing persecution, domestic abuse, conflict. So um, if you are an immigrant and want to help us build the vision, I would love to have you as part of the team. And thank you for like letting me speak about the welcome card. Well, thank you for actually doing it because, you know, it has been uh, something that a lot of us didn't know was happening. And it is a, an important development which would help both uh, authorities, 
asylum seekers and communities build the bridges that they need to build. So, um, you know, thank you very much for doing it. And thank you, Narina, for inviting Veronica. It's been really fantastic. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll end this uh, interview now. <laughs>